0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician, and uh, I specialize in those disorders that I aforementioned, previously mentioned, mentioned just before. Anyways, um, I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for um, for this episode. I hope everybody is having a, a good the time of year. Um, this, has been, uh, the, this has been the weirdest year of my life, and I think it's been the weirdest year for everybody. Now, I'm not one of those people who's going to go into a whole lot of review of the year, how this year has been, um, other than to acknowledge, man, this has been a weird year. We've all discovered that we can be uh, uh, flexible, that we can be patient, adaptive, And we found out that we can do a lot of the work that we do online. So, I'm hoping that 2021 is going to be better. Now, uh, before I get into the show, for those of you who have, uh, or those of you who are new to the show, um, this is a question and answer-based podcast. So, you're about to hear a lot of questions from listeners. These are all questions from listeners that they have all written in. Um, They went over to fearcastpodcast.com they went over to the submit a question link, and uh, they typed in their question. I read it, I considered it, and I put it up here on this podcast. If you would like to have a question uh, uh, posted here on the, a future episode, uh, and would like me to discuss some, you know, some of my thoughts, some suggestions, some encouragements on the ways that uh, you can address the various issues, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and uh, submit a question there. Um, if uh, if you can also go over to Instagram, I am fearcast podcast there. Um, I also put up uh, some, some announcements for when uh, new episodes are up. I post some uh, memes or silly things up there from time to time. And um, uh, you can just check me out up there. I'll also do Instagram lives uh, from time to time, also answering questions. So, um everybody thank you so much um again for listening uh listening to the podcast it just means so much to me that uh, people do listen and more importantly that people find some encouragement and some support uh here on this podcast so uh keep keep coming back keep listening uh keep uh, suggesting questions and uh, keep telling your friends again i don't do any advertisement for this um, i i rely on the I rely on on people telling other people and offering suggestions that perhaps this podcast could be helpful for them in their recovery journey and that's the entire purpose of all of this so thank you all so much uh, again and hope everybody is doing well and is healthy and is ready to be done with this big stupid year because i am um now as as a bit of housekeeping please note that i will probably make this the last podcast of the year and i'll be back uh, sometime in january so if uh, people are wondering why i'm not posting in again uh, in another two weeks um, it's probably because of that but um, but stay tuned and um, uh, please subscribe to the podcast and you will be notified when a new episode is up all right so without further ado everybody hear the questions All right. So this first question comes from Sophie. Sophie says, I'm writing to you because I've had this odd OCD cocktail for about a year now. It is a mixture of health anxiety and ROCD slash HOCD. I'm in therapy at the moment, but I find it really difficult to have continuity and find time to work on these anxieties separately. Sometimes I don't know how to talk about my thoughts with my therapist because health anxiety and ROCD slash HOCD are so different and it confuses me. She put a lot of O's in so. I feel like I'm not making any progress overall because I keep going back and forth, sometimes working on health anxiety and sometimes on HOCD, ROCD. Would you recommend me working on one of them first and then, when I learn how to manage it, start working on the other one or just keep working on both at the same time? I've been trying to prioritize one of them, but it is impossible. I get more panic attacks because of health anxiety, so it feels more scary. They, uh, she parenthetically says, I feel like I'm terminally ill or about to die all the time. And she goes on to say, but whenever I get H-O-C-D-R-O-C-D thoughts, it destroys me emotionally, even if I don't get full-blown panic attacks because the feeling I don't truly know myself and how this affects my current relationship. Any advice? All right, Sophie, so I actually get questions similar to this a lot from my clients or people inquiring with my practice. They'll sometimes ask about whether or not they can have more than one subtype of OCD at the same time. And for some reason, it and I could be wrong on this, but it almost seems like on some forums, people are suggesting that you can only have or that you, you do only have one subtype at a time. However, in, in practice and in my experience, you can have multiple subtypes all at once or experience multiple different genres or, or groupings of obsessions at once. Now, let's all remember that, that the title's HOCD, ROCD, contamination, scrupulosity, all those subtypes and more of OCD are all just OCD. Now, health anxiety is, it, it gets its own special name, and it's called hypochondria or hypochondriasis. Um, however, it, it, it can also be just considered health OCD or OCD about one's health. It, it essentially manifests the same with, of course, some finer details. But what I'm hearing and what you're saying, you said, I have an odd cocktail of OCD. Yeah, you have a grouping of a bunch of different obsessions and fears. So that that is very common, and that's, to a certain degree, normal. And therefore, okay. But the idea about whether or not they should be considered individually, like like as you're suggesting, that perhaps uh, you need to focus only on health anxiety and then put ROCD and HOCD in the cabinet for a while, and then eventually come back to to you know ROCD or HOCD once health anxiety has subsided. I I, I don't actually think that that is going to be the best idea, simply because that's not the way it's working in your life with our fears in, in the kind of the constellation of the fears that we have we can't really compartmentalize them right if you could you would have done it already but we experience all these different fears and all these different intrusive thoughts all at once or you know in in sometimes what i call flavor of the week anxiety when i'm working with someone who has a lot of different fears sometimes they'll come in one week and they'll just be uh, you know it'll be rocd on parade and then the next week after we've we've Discussed it and assigned homework and 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 tried to work on that fear. All of a sudden, ROCD takes a tremendous backseat, and now HOCD becomes the predominant obsession. Um, And then you know, roundabout, and sometimes we'll be on one for about a month, and then it will you know turn on a dime, and then all of a sudden, it's now another one. Now these these fluctuating obsessions are sometimes um, obnoxious, and they're obnoxious kind of for everybody because it feels like yeah, wouldn't it be nice to just really hunker down on one target, one, uh, demolish it, and then move on to the next one? Well, sometimes that's just not the way it's going to work. So what may be helpful, and and I think this is the 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 new the newer approach with the inhibitory learning model, is to take all of these obsessions as or together, take them together that some days we're going to focus on ROCD and some days we're going to focus on HOCD. And we're really going to target those because, after all, that's what you're experiencing, right? So, to expect your, your anxiety to just go along with treatment doesn't really give, give OCDs as, as an, an enemy or as an adversary or however we want to verbalize it. Um, it doesn't give it a whole lot of credit as if it's going to follow the rules, right? It doesn't follow the rules right now. So in treatment, we can, we can learn ultimately to be flexible with these. And to that point, building your flexibility within your obsessions is going to be a great first step to tackling all of these. OCD and anxiety in general kind of says, here's what's going to happen. And then he, there, and therefore, here's what you have to do to make sure that you are not going to die or that nothing terrible is going to happen or fill in the blank. Right. And we get wrapped up in those thoughts go along with it and then do compulsions to try to control it or to try to avoid it or to try to understand it or whatever whatever the purpose of your compulsion is. My first encouragement, therefore, would be when a new obsession comes up, rather than going, oh man, this one's here, oh, I can't stand it, I was just focusing on ROCD, and now I'm focusing on this one, and that's the worst, and gosh, I'm broken and terrible, and, and my brain is awful and uh, defective, we're not, not going to do that. But instead we go, all right, it's shifting, all right, brain, I guess we're going over here now, Okay. What that does is it's, it's showing your brain that, that this is not going to rule rule your life. It's not going to be the, the, the decider on what you do. Instead, you're going to keep living your life. And when your brain is focusing on ROCD, okay, it's all of a sudden focused on your relationship and we're gonna be fluid and flexible with that. We're we're gonna observe how that thought is there. We're gonna casually let that thought float out of our brain without getting locked into it and really overly engaged with that discussion and how it's working and how it's impacting our life and the future and all the things. Instead, we're gonna bring ourselves back to the here and now. Right now, I have this new obsession. Okay, what can I do in the face of it? What can I do to work with it? Can I redirect my attention over here? Can I do an exposure? Can I keep going to class, keep engaging in my relationship? Can I continue to watch this movie even though there's a gay character or an attractive you know, guy or girl on the show? and then we're going to fluctuate through it. So With the inhibitory learning model, there's more of a discussion about it rather than a, a typical or traditional linear hierarchy where we just start at the easiest ones and go to the hardest ones. Instead, we just make it kind of a big old to-do list of stuff that freaks us out. Then we kind of roll a die and see which number it lands on. It lands on, I don't know, let's go with a 20-sided die since most people don't just have six things on their hierarchy. We roll the die, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, something that's a two. Oh, this one's really easy to do do. All right, I can do that. And then we roll the die next week and it's a 14 and we go, oh my gosh, this was so much higher in the list. What about a 13 and below? Who cares? Your anxiety doesn't care. We're, our job is to develop a confidence that we can face our anxiety when it comes. So, I encourage you to start developing that perspective. Additionally, when you work on one it's going to help with the others because anxiety is anxiety, right? It's learning to tolerate the fear of the uncertainty and that's the fear of uncertainty with ROCD and HOCD in your health because all of those, the compulsions there are are trying to control something terrible from happening, which, which what I would encourage you to do also is to consider what is the core fear of all of these with health anxiety, ROCD and HOCD? Is there a common thread between them? Between all of them, I wonder if, and this is just speculation, I don't know anything other than what you've written here, I wonder if the fear is that you just can't handle it. You can't handle the uncertainty. Meaning that you can't handle when that obsession is there, you can't handle not knowing, or you can't handle the feeling of the, of the question that is there about whether or not your relationship is going to fail or crumble, or whether or not you are in fact gay. That discomfort might just be so overwhelming, and you're saying, I just can't deal well, your job is to practice dealing. Now, again, thinking about what that core fear is, is going to be really helpful. And if there's a common thread there, because that is then going to help your target, because they are seemingly diverse in their topic. But there's something about all of them that tap into your particular struggle. So thinking about that might be a good start and processing that with your therapist might be a good way to go. So Sophie, those are my thoughts. Best of luck. And thank you for that question. All right. So this next question comes from Laura. She asks, I have anxiety and battle with intrusive thoughts often. Most of my obsessive thoughts revolve around my relationship with my boyfriend. Some thoughts I have to try to convince me that I'm not good enough for him and I don't actually love him. I especially am fearful that all these thoughts I have are true and that one day I will find that I've been lying to myself this whole time. I'd love to know what you would suggest to help me with these thoughts. I hope this makes sense. Thank you so much. Laura, it makes perfect sense. This sounds like relationship OCD. This is kind of that common common thread with all folks with, with uh, relationship OCD. This worry that, oh no, my boyfriend is fantastic. He's delightful. He's wonderful. I love him. But what if, what if one day I discover that I've been lying to myself this whole time and that I don't truly love him and that maybe he isn't the one for me? I don't know. And I don't know if that is going to be your story. Nor do you, nor does anybody else. And and the struggle with that one is the reality that we, we don't know and no one does. And that's uncomfortable because you know, we want the fairy tale story, right? We all want to fall in love with our with our partner and be in love with them forever and ride off into the sunset, all happy and joyous. It sounds delightful, right? However, we don't know because we also hear stories about how people got married and they were they were fantastically in love, and then all of a sudden it crumbled, and they hate their partner, and they and they wasted half their life in their partner's life, and then they are they are too old to get remarried or too old to start a new family or whatever whatever some disastrous, really uncomfortable, really unwanted story for all of us is. I don't want that story. You don't want it either. I don't think anybody out there is going. Gosh, you know what sounds great. I'm going to get into a relationship with somebody and I'm going to fall deeply in love. And then we're going to get our lives deeply intertwined with marriage and kids and house and credit cards and a family and uh, uh, Christmas cards and, and Hanukkah cards, I suppose, and, um, or whatever else is happening. Whatever, you get the idea. All these things could happen. And then in about 20 to 25 years, it's all going to crumble and we're going to hate each other. This is not a story that's very, very common, and this is not a story that you and I or anybody else deeply dreams of. We all dread that, but we all can't predict the future either. Your job in this is going to have to accept that as a reality. And as, a, as an existential threat, existential meaning, it's not like this this threat that's right in front of us, this thing that we can respond to or like sidestep or that we can figure out or work with. The existential threat are just the stuff that's out there, right? Will Global warming is an existential threat. Um, you know, thermal nuclear war is this existential threat it becomes a threat when a country threatens us and like trains a missile on us or fires one that's a real threat right now there's nothing out there's nothing there but it's there right me dying in a car accident is this existential threat because i'm not driving right now i'm not in a car accident right now so it could happen but it's not happening just yet these are the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, but you're not thinking about those at all. Your brain is obsessed and really focused on the relationship with your boyfriend. We need to channel this into a, a, an understanding that this is just like one, every one of the other ones. The thing that is keeping this going for you is all the effort you're spending thinking about it and ruminating about it and evaluating the relationship and considering, do you love him? How much do you love him? What What is going to happen? And how are you two going to deal with the divorce and the breakup? And which friends are you going to keep? And are you going to keep the dog or is he going to keep the dog? Um, what's that relationship or what's that conversation going to be like when you have to go over to his place to pick up all your stuff and him to your place, right? All the awkwardness and you're playing all those out. All those Are super awkward and it's really uncomfortable. But all of that conversation is what I like to call mental masturbation. I haven't used that term in a long time, but I'm whipping it out. Also, a wrong one to use. But anyways, I'm I'm using it here for this reason. It's that it's getting no, it's getting no one nowhere. All right, it's this activity that you do that you are the only one getting anything out of. It doesn't solve anything, fix anything, produce anything. It's just a thing that you do, and it's a waste of time. So, the better way to consider this is that the more effort you spend to think about it, the more times you're sending the message to your brain that this thought is important, and this thought is something that ought to be considered, should take a lot more of your mind share, a lot more of your emotional capacity, but ultimately it doesn't. Now, we can do this with almost anything, right? If you spend a lot of time thinking about uh, politics— then you're going to start to be more paranoid about politics. you are gonna be thinking about politics more. You're going, to be, you're going to be looking to have more conversations about politics. You're going to notice how politics fits into other areas of life. Pick a thing. You can pick a hobby. You can pick a movie. You can pick a genre of music. The more that you think about it, the more you're going to start to notice it. The more that you're, you're analyzing the relationship, the more you are going to start to notice that things aren't perfect. And I'm going to tell you this, your relationship is not perfect because no one's is mine certainly isn't yours isn't. And that's, and that's okay. I love my relationship and it ain't perfect, but the more that we spend our time analyzing it and then questioning when it's going to explode, the more we reinforce that it is a problem. So my encouragement to you is going to be pulling back on how much time you are analyzing when you, and, and, and it's easier said than done, certainly, but catch yourself when you're starting to go down that compulsive evaluation process, and you'll start to notice it. You, you, You know when you're doing it. And instead, acknowledge that you don't know, and that that's okay. But trying to redirect your attention towards something else. In fact, one thing that can be really difficult to do is that that if you don't it, when the, something that actually happens let me just back up a little bit something that sometimes happens when people have ROCD is that they they don't really want to engage because sometimes they don't feel into it they don't feel comfortable with it or they don't feel those lovey-dovey feelings so they back off thinking that if they engage with this person well they're kind of lying to the other person or leaving them on or, or they're being dishonest my encouragement to you would be if that is the case for you lean into it instead of pulling away Lean into the relationship. That's when you call your partner. That's when you text him, email him. That's when you call him. That's when you go over to him and say, "Hey, I love you." That's when you go over to him and you hold his hand and you 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 engage with him. And it's going to feel uncomfortable, but you're sending the brain you're sending your brain this message. It doesn't matter what you say. I want to be in this relationship, so I'm going to be in this relationship. And then resist the effort to question your actions. But go into it. Think about this. How would you interact with your boyfriend if you didn't have this obsession? How did you interact with him before this obsession was there? Your job is to do that to the best of your abilities and to ignore, as best you can, that thought, that question. So, Laura, I hope that helps. There are a lot of resources out there. I have a couple of podcasts on just specifically ROCD. Which you may or may not have listened to. There are another. Uh, there there are, there are a bunch of great books out there. There are going to be blog articles written on it. So there, there's a lot of information out there. I encourage you to avail yourself to them. And uh, and if not, um, I would encourage you to check out uh, check out a therapist who works with um, OCD and perhaps who specializes in ROCD. They're, and they're they're out there. And hopefully you can find someone who can help you to work through this and to practice sitting with that uncertainty, but engaging in your relationship to the best degree that you can. All right, Laura, thanks so much for this question. All right, this question comes from Federica. She asks how do you stop giving every single action or thought a second meaning? Yesterday, I've obsessed all day because I decided to unfollow my ex on Instagram. Parenthetically, they say not interested in updates in his life. Goes on to say, and then ended up deleting my account because I panicked about him finding out and thinking I did it with a second meaning to get attention i've started obsessing about it because my brain convinced me that i deleted his account because of him and I felt an extreme wave of guilt towards my boyfriend i really don't want to spend my whole life obsessing over every single thing i do it's so frustrating all right frederica thank you for um thank you for this thank you for sharing your experience and man that is an experience that i think we have all had um yeah I think he did the right thing, deleting his Instagram. You don't need to get an update on his life. You don't need to have that reminder in your life that he's doing stuff. Who cares? He's your ex. You can unfollow him. You are welcome to unfollow him. And in fact, I think that we, 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 well, not to say we ought to, or we should, or we should forever, but you know what? For a time after we break up, you know what? We can delete them just to start, just to get that fresh start to move on. And to not have that constant reminder in our head. You've got enough constant reminders in your head if you've got ROCD, right? So we don't have to have all of them in our life and you can have this this one less as you move on. So you have a main question then I got some other thoughts as per usual. But you say how do I stop giving every single action or thought a second meaning? Well first off, we can't. That second meaning most likely unless you are actively doing this, that second meaning is just your brain getting at you. It's just your thoughts interpreting and giving you suggestions. Now, we reinforce those second meanings the more time that we then fight against them rather than treating that second meaning thought as just a dumb ridiculous thought our brain gives us our brain also does and it does what i call the underminer or has what is called the underminer this is not a, a fancy technical um uh, therapy phrase that has been developed through research at some university uh, it's a it's a, a name that i gave a function of our brain based on a character in The Incredibles, the Disney movie The Incredibles. So, I have a very, very early episode on this, and you can go listen to it to see how The Underminer comes into your life and just burrows up into your brain, drops a bomb, and then leaves and tries to get you to come out after it. Um, and ultimately, you and I get lost in deciphering, um, trying to fight against, trying to debate this second meaning, and we're, and it just leads us into this pit of despair and anger and sadness. Ultimately how do we get them to st- how do we get our brain to stop giving it a second meaning? We don't. We accept that our brain is going to give something a second meaning, but you and I get to decide how much effort we are going to place into that second meaning. So the second meaning is there and we notice it, and we're going to. We can take a step back and this first starts the, the we well first off, let me go back. We we first have to notice that it's there and then we can have the perspective That our thoughts are not who we are, and that not every thought is important, and that not every thought reflects our our core values and desires and truths of life. In fact, the majority of the stuff that our brain gives us is dumb. The majority of the stuff that our brain gives us is useless, and that's great. The moment that we can start to recognize that our brain is, to a certain degree, useless— the more it gives us freedom to then not take it seriously, right? It's like you've you've heard it said, don't believe everything you read, right? Or don't believe everything you hear or don't believe everything you see. The same thing comes here. Don't believe everything you think. Just because your brain gives you a second meaning does not mean it's a fact. And this is important for everybody with OCD and anxiety, myself included with anxiety, is that when I have a thought, it doesn't mean that it's a fact. It means that it's a thought. And then we get to decide what meaning it's going to have to us, or relevance we're going to give it. And the relevance we give it is based on how much effort we give to it. So, one of the first things to do to, to help your brain stop investing, to stop elevating these second meanings, is we stop elevating the second meaning through resistance of compulsive rumination and compulsive thought. We step back away from the thought and go, All right, that's there. Ooh, that second meaning is uncomfortable. We can say things like, Man, I hope that's not true. That's kind of a hoping compulsion. I recognize that, or it certainly can become that. We can acknowledge that, Man, if that second meaning were true, that would suck. We can acknowledge, Ooh, that second meaning makes me feel uncomfortable, but okay. And then we divest from further analysis and questioning about it. And we move on and we go on with our life. And we make space for the fact that we're going to feel uncomfortable. Now, certainly you can expand on that. Um, when that anxiety subsides, you can certainly do scripting to that scripting about, um, you know, your ex boyfriend finding out about, about this and you wanting attention and how he's going to blow up or make that public. And how all your other friends are going to go, Oh, my gosh, Frederica is so um, attention seeking, and she's awful. And, and, they, and then they all leave you inside with him. And, and everyone leaves your Instagram account or Facebook or whatever thing you're using. That could be a story that could be leaned into and accepted as a possibility, as something that would be uncomfortable, but as a future potential maybe story, but as a story, and that's really it. It's a story. Now, what I will say is that you also said um, that you felt extreme waves of guilt towards your boyfriend and that you don't want to spend the rest of your life, uh, life obsessing. So, with the guilt, the guilt is that feeling that we've done something wrong. What have you done wrong here? What's the wrong thing? That you deleted his account? Is that wrong? Well, first, we need to question the legitimacy of that guilty feeling. Did you do anything wrong? I'd encourage you to challenge that. What rule did you violate? What person did you hurt? What, uh, uh, what, what standard and norm did you not follow or did you completely destroy? Question whether or not that guilt feeling ought to be there. Do you think that other people that you trust, other people that you think are reasonable, rational human beings, do you think that they would say that you are worthy of guilt and that you screwed up? Doubt it. That guilt feeling, just because we feel guilt does not mean that it's true. Feelings are not facts, right? So, if you felt guilt, we can say, okay, man, I feel that feeling of guilt, and I feel it in my stomach, in the pit, in my stomach, that hurts so bad, or my shoulders hurt because I'm so anxious, I'm thinking about this, and I feel so bad, or when my shoulders are tight, that's how I feel when I feel guilt, or that's the way my brain um, interprets that feeling is guilt and I've done something wrong. Instead, we're going to separate the meaning from that feeling and just go, you know what? I don't know. And I'm not going to invest in the, the truth or the falseness of the guilt. Instead, I'm going to sit here with the feeling because that's what I have. I have this feeling and it's uncomfortable. But what can I do to deal with that feeling and to make space for it? Right? Can I go for a walk with my feeling? Can I sit here and can keep working with my feeling with my anxiety? Can I sit here and keep talking to you all on this podcast today with my feeling? I can, and I'm going to. And that's what we can do, everybody. Where can we put our energies? And that's what I would encourage you to think about when that guilt feeling comes up, that we don't celebrate that guilt feeling as if everything that we feel is a fact, but to say, yep, it's here, and I'm going to make the best life that I can with this feeling right now, especially when it comes to these feelings that are OCD and anxiety related, that you've felt a bajillion times before, and that seemingly don't make sense to you. So, those are my thoughts, Frederica. Best of luck. Okay, so this last question, or I suppose it's more of a comment, comes from Matt. Matt says, Thank you for the work that you do. I don't think that you will be canceled, by the way. I thought that it was a pretty sensible message. Besides, you made sure to say fisherperson instead of fisherman, so good on you for correcting yourself there. I suffer a lot from ROCD, and your messages really help. It's like you say the exact things that my brain is saying. I'm trying to keep in my mind that reassurance is a bad thing, but your podcasts are pretty reassuring in a way. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you so much for those those words of encouragement. For for everybody who um, uh, doesn't know what the the canceled thing is about, I did an episode a while ago on. Uh, um, uh, uh, real event OCD and cancel culture and how they kind of have an overlap. And um, uh, my, my worry that was because I came out against cancel culture that I would be canceled or that I would say something and be canceled or something to that effect. And, um, and I'll tell you for a period of time, I was, I was, I was worried. I was kind of concerned that, that, um, you know, who knows, right? Who knows if I'm going to say something and completely put my foot in my mouth and make a mistake. Um, crazier things happen, right? But so far, having that episode um, out has actually, it's become one of the most listened episodes. And I think it's really resonated with a lot of people because the reality is we all have said and done things that we regret, myself included. And you know what? I'm going to say more things on this podcast than I'm going to regret I'm going to do more things in my life that I'm going to regret because to not live with regret is probably to not be living. It's probably to not take any chances and pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone. If we never wanted to live with regret, we would just live by the book, by the rules and not make any changes in our life. And that is not a life that I think is worth living. We need to be able to take chances and make mistakes. We need to be able to go out there and to, and to find out that maybe we're wrong. But you know what? In the course of going out there and finding out that we might be wrong, we go out there and we find that we might be right. We find that, that when we change something, things could be better. They could be different. They could be more exciting and engaging and more fulfilling than they ever were before. And that only happens when we take a risk. So I think it's important for us to make risks and to try new things and just to try it. You never know if it's going to blow up in your face or if it's going to be the exact thing that you need it to do. Obviously, we think about things briefly beforehand. We're not just going to willy-nilly go out there and take wild, stupid risks. But we also don't then ruminate on them to make sure that we're going to make the perfect and right thing because we might miss it. And that's a possibility too. So there's this balance that we need to go out there and maybe we didn't think about it enough. Maybe we thought about it too much, but we need to do something. So the real event OCD, we can think about it as just elaborate guilt. It's something that has actually happened, but responded to in this ruminative OCD sort of way. So if those of you who haven't listened to it, it it's, a, it's a fun listen. It's a bit of a longer episode, but it's a good one. So I'll also say this to the point about uh, reassurance. yes. Compulsive reassurance is not something we're trying to do here in OCD land. Um, But that being said, some things are reassuring. And if this podcast is reassuring to some folks, great. I, I, that's the point of it, right? To know, when, when I say you can get better from OCD and anxiety, you can continue to have a life and have anxiety and OCD, I mean it. And if that's reassuring, great. Now, if you're going back and listening to me say that 50, 100 times, or if you are like cutting out that little phrase and just just listening to it on a loop, that can be compulsively reassuring. Because my saying, you can get better and you can have a life worth living, does not mean you will live a perfect life, or that OCD will go away, or that you will never experience pain and discomfort in your life. My promise is is that if you're living a life worth living, you're going to feel pain and discomfort and struggle. That's my promise. But you will also have a life worth living. So, that's the balance that we're all trying to find. So, um, so Matt, I, I, I'm delighted that you found uh, that you find this podcast reassuring, in an encouraging sort of way. Now, yes, we are all trying to resist compulsive reassurance, but if you but if we find some things that are reassurance in the course of living our life, or a conversation, or a movie that we watch, and we get a little bit of reassurance from it, take it. That one's for free but we're going to resist then going into the further analysis of it and elaborating on it and expanding on it and making sure that it's magically, perfectly reassuring. Instead, we take that one reassurance and we go, (sighs) cool, that worked, that felt good. And then we keep moving on. We use that one, that, that little thing to keep us afloat, but we don't harp on it. Well, we take it, tuck it away, and we keep moving on. So Matt, I hope you're keeping on and moving on and I appreciate the comment. I really do keep it up. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode. This is episode 59. We're making it up there, man. We just keep getting numbers. They keep going higher and higher. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey, everybody, if you haven't listened to the uh, Phobia Friday series, um, they're coming out. I just recorded the last two, and uh, they should be out presently. Actually, one of them will be out before this one. So... There will be one after this. Um, If you have any questions about the questions that I had in this episode, or would like to add any comments, or would like to make any further suggestions for the various um, people in this episode, um, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can go to Submit a Question link, um, and you can let me know there. And uh, um, if you... And if you have any suggestions for a future Fear or Phobia Friday episode, let me know. You can go over to Fearcast Podcast and let me know there. I would love to hear if there are some specific fears or specific phobias that you would like to uh, share or you would like me to talk about or to elaborate on. Um, Again, everybody, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Please feel free, if you could, if you like the show, review it, give it a thumbs up, give it a like, give it a star, um, and uh, give it five stars if you could. Whatever it is, uh, whatever you you feel that is um, relevant to this show. So, all right, everybody, um, please remember the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment and would like to get a little bit more assistance, you can go to FearCast podcast and you can go to the uh, find help link and there'll be some uh, uh, tips or some links for you there. Uh, all right, everybody, I hope everybody has a wonderful end to their year. And as always, take a risk, challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.